Hey everybody, welcome to Nerdy Talk with Dan. I know it's been a while, but uh, you know, today I have a special, special guest, somebody I went to art school with, uh, and also a creator of an awesome comic book coming out, which I won't I'll, I'll give him the 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 room to say it. Uh, but uh, Justin Dutton. Hey, what's up, man? It's been a while. <laughs> it has. It has been, I don't know how many years. Long enough. Yeah, it feels like a lifetime <laughs> ago. Uh, but uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Uh, and thanks for having me, brother. Of course, of course. I mean, uh, you know, it was funny because when I found out you were doing a comic book, I was like, I was like, that makes sense. You know, just based off, off of our time uh, we spent yeah. in college. Like, I kind of got that vibe that you were, like, into that world and the, the artistry of all that stuff. So so tell me a little bit about your comic book. Yeah, all right. So my comic book is on Indiegogo.com. It's a yeah, crowdfunded site. Mm-hmm. We have 26 days left, so go ahead and back it. Um, but it's called Unstitched Part 1 of 2. So it's 48-page graphic novel that is a darker, all-ages type story. Um, picture like Toy Story meets Coraline. Mm, that's... So the story overall is you have a brand new Teddy, which is essentially like a knight um, and a title uh, sent to protect a little girl and her nightlight, which is currently keeping the darkness at bay. Unfortunately, the darkness has uh, an army of monsters and creatures that want to break the light so the darkness can terrorize Eleanor and corrupt her dreams with fear. And it's whether uh, our our teddies can step up to the challenge without Mm. becoming a stitch in the process. That's like the complete, like it's got everything you need for like a good story, right? Like it's got... the good character arc for everybody to kind of, you know, grow, uh, you know, especially with the Teddy. I like that. It's like, kind of like a title. Yeah. You know? It actually stands for a thriftly effective dreaming defender. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. The year, the year <laughs> yeah. is perfect because like, if it, like if it was something that made sense afterwards, like I would have been like, wait, this doesn't really fit the vibe, but because it's like a teddy bear looking, Yep. thing you know yeah just kind of exemplifies like yeah that like uh do you ever watch a uh, codename kids next door mm-hmm. acronyms for everything like their base all their weapons just everything was an acronym like ice cream was an acronym for something <laughs> and i was like you know i just i don't know it's something special about acronyms that it's a word but there's words in the word and i'm just like that's <laughs> and i was like yo all right let me let me just kind of pull back my my love of co- uh, kids next door with a uh, Teddy and typically effective dreaming defender. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like when I read it, I was like, yes. As soon as I got to that part, I just said yes because it just kind of <laughs> it, it it fit. Um, and uh, like for like coming up with this idea, what what inspired that, and when when was this? Um. It was actually uh, like about a couple of years ago. Um, I had money saved up for a comic and I had some scripts and the scripts I have uh, are mature adult scripts, but my uh, niece was around one, 
one and a half, almost two at the time. And my sister was like, ah, oh, your niece really loves uh, having stories uh, read to her, like Dr. Seuss and stuff. You should make a, your comic book about her. Something she could read. So mm. I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Let me just kind of throw out everything and just make a whole new story. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, I was like, all right. Although I've never written something kid-friendly, I was like, I can do the challenge. And, you know, I went to school for animation. I mean, that's how I met you and stuff. I know you were film, but I was animation. Um, and Don Bluth was a really big uh, motivator for me. Of like, he had darker uh, kids, kids tales. Um, you know, Land Before Time, Secret of Nymph. You know, yeah. when, like, an adult can watch it and not feel like, ah, oh, this is, you know, a kid's thing. And a kid could watch it and not feel like it was being talked down to. So I wanted to spend <laughs> that approach. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's like such a perfect placement because I feel like, you know, uh, kids have a lot of uh, depth to their understanding of stories. Uh, and I think when they watch kids shows and stuff like that, there's kind of like an element that I feel like they are kind of looking for, but they don't usually get where there's like something that's talking about like a, a real serious like consequence of things like fear like dealing with fear dealing with like you know just like or mortality and stuff like that yes. it's, just, it's just really interesting a really interesting avenue to put uh you know a spin on you know kid a kid's story or what a kid's story can be yeah i mean you you know like land before time it hits home of a right like 20 minutes you had like littlefoot's uh mom pass and you're just like oh oh, snap, he's an orphan now. Right. And then, you know, uh, like all the, the kid dinosaurs being separated and, you know, the kids acted very goofy and childish because mm -hmm. children, but there were serious consequences of, you know, the sharp teeth are definitely designed and they are, were terrifying. Um, right. And, you know, the aspect of, like, we have to find the grown-ups and find, like, home again, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like uh, a lot of kids' animation tries to talk down to kids. Yeah, definitely. No, oh. um, I'd rather talk up to kids and, you know, uh, sometimes go a little bit over their head. Mm -hmm. You know, that maybe it sparks curiosity and they want to learn more of something. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting thing to do. And also for, I mean, like, the... Uh, artwork of it is so sophisticated but also simple at the same time yeah uh laura vimbasambati um hungarian artist um and i practiced her name like 20 <laughs> and it's like i had to have her send me a, like a sound clip mm -hmm. announcing her last name it's, it's vimbasambati but uh her art style a lot of people and i agree with it it it's very powerpuff girls-esque but yet, you know, you see the influence and yet mm -hmm. its own original thing. And I mean, it's, she's perfect for this. Um, great at like fairy tale type stories. And that's what this is. I mean, I also kind of pitched this as like, imagine if someone actually let Guillermo del Toro do a Pixar movie. Mm. Yeah, that's the vibe. Was, you know, he's going to push it a little bit dark, but it's still going to be like at the end of the day, kids friendly because it's Pixar. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. And it's and it's perfect. Like when you're coming up with like the stories or the vibe of the, what the visuals would be like, are you like, were you thinking like Guillermo del Toro before then? Or were you thinking like, were you like still trying to play with like different types of director vibes for it? Um, well, for this, I, I kind of had the uh, like Guillermo del Toro uh, vibe and I was like, what if I could do a more childish Pan's Labyrinth? Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, that was just an amazing like modern fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as long as you don't mind reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> a good point. I um, sometimes forget that. That's weird. Yeah, but you know, with it being uh, you know comics, you know, I just kind of took my uh, animation skills of like storyboarding and. Uh, I would have like a cool visual in mind of what I want and I would be like all right so I would just kind of write a random page in the story I'm like I want this action to happen and I'm like now I just need to like try to get towards this part and that was kind of like the exciting thing of I I really want the darkness to kind of swarm and take over the room Mm -hmm. yeah and that was an interesting part too about the the art too with the uh the darkness like it had like all these like eyeballs and stuff like that. And for me, I was like, that's the perfect, like, uh, I don't know, actualization of what like darkness would feel like and kind of look like. Cause you know, yeah. like when you're afraid of the dark, you feel like you're being watched, you know, uh, by something. So it's kind of an interesting interpretation. Yeah, um, that was actually, uh, like, the great thing about comics is the eye part was actually Laura's idea. Mm. Um, where, like, the back and forth, and, you know, because I kind of just wrote, you know, and the darkness swarms and consumes the room, um, you know, taking over, and she added the eyes, and I was like, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's per. It's like, yeah, a, a weird alchemy of, like, you know, you as an artist and then, her, you know, her as, a, her as an artist just kind of finding uh, a way to amplify what's already there. Yeah, I mean, um, even on my scripts, because I write uh, like a script format of like, you know, page one and I, what I do is I write like all the actions in like a paragraph, almost like a, a Marvel uh, Stan Lee style. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of like break out the action scenes like, all right, so this would be a panel, this would be a panel, this would be a panel. And I kind of add the dialogue. But at the beginning of every script, at the very top of it, I always tell her, tell her like, hey, um, this isn't uh, set in stone. View this as a guideline. Um, right. Kind of how like, you know, the story out or how I see it on the page and how many panels I kind of picture it. But, you know, feel free to make it your own because, you know, the artist is, essentially like the cameraman right um and when it comes to comics it's almost more like a a co-directing uh aspect and i think you know we kind of fell in sync and you know with the story and how we wanted to to show it off pretty pretty quick right i think uh you know like um it's it's interesting that you're saying you know it's a co a a co-directing thing because i think uh you know like I've never done a comic book before, but it just feels like there's so much trust that needs to be involved for you both to do it, to to to, to like create this thing. Like, yeah. was was it was it 
uh, did it feel like weird, like creatively at first, like kind of like, like giving or lending some of that power to, you know, do their um, thing? Yeah, it is. Cause I, anytime you write something, you, you kind of hope it's good, but you never know how a script actually reads until you give it to someone. But yet you're always kind of afraid, like, what if it's not all that good? And what if I just kind of like, I think it's good, but it's actually right. <laughs> right. Um, I had like a few people kind of co-read, uh, co you know, like test read it and stuff. And I mean, the great compliment that I got is, um, it feels like this world is already lived in. Um, and like by page 10, you may not know everything, but it definitely feels like the world has knowledge and is lived in. Um, and you know, like Laura loved it. She said it felt like a, a Pixar movie as well. Um, you know, uh, we a lot more uh, unstitched stories, but yeah, um, the first time uh, you you get pages of art, you're like, oh, okay, it's this is real. I'm doing a comic book. <laughs> how someone else uh, took my words and how they actually pitched it and. It, you know, it's kind of a surreal thing. It's kind of like, um, you know, when as a film student yourself or, you know, film uh, person because you're no longer a student. Um, when you first go, all right, I have a plan for a project and you have it in your mind. And, you know, by the time you actually start filming and see everyone set dress, you're like, okay, this is, this is thing. This is, it's actually happening now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, at that point, I'm like, Ugh, I got reservations. Is this gonna work or is it is it is it not? You know, like, it's yeah. A... I mean, and the great thing, um, you know, she she turns in like black and white pages, and you know, she always asks like, hey, does anything need to be changed or edited? And there was a few times like a panel or whatever needed to be tweaked here or there. Or sometimes looking at it and re like reading the script, you kind of, again, very very directory go. Okay, now I'm seeing the art. But what if we do this instead? Right. There's a panel like this, and I feel like it's going to be more impactful. That makes sense. That makes sense. I, I think like uh, reshoots. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how you would uh, classify, right? Yeah, just having yep. to go back. Let's just do it this way instead. It's yep. <laughs> pretty funny. Uh, I think, uh, you know, now that you're kind of, you've got like, you know, one under your belt. And I mean, I know it's still got, uh, you know, 26 days left. I mean, you know, you, you pretty much have, a, a, a you know, a, 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 a solid thing, you know, that you can say you did, right? Yeah, um, you know, uh, we have like 26 days left and I think we're about uh, 1700 from actually hitting funding, which uh, the art is actually all done. So I know like some people have reservations on um, backing crowdfunded books, you know, on Kickstarter or Indiegogo because they're like, ah, am I actually going to get the book? How much right. is it done? Um, but the, all 48 pages of art is done. I mean, that's got to feel pretty good. Like, like as soon as you finalize like the last page, yeah. like what was that yeah. like? Um, It was actually crazy because... Uh, so I wrote the whole thing, because um, it's part one of two. I actually wrote the whole thing is like a 120-something page or 110-page story. But mm. I was, you know, I can't find all of this by myself. 
And I know um, it would be a, a more expensive thing to ask for, like, you know, funding wise to get everything. So put up a, a poll on Twitter and Facebook and I asked like, hey, would you rather have the whole thing or would you have it like broke up in half and you were like break it in half. So like rereading the script, I was like page 44 is a, a great kind of half point and like a tipping point for the story. Uh, but the issue is, you know, when you print, you have to print in like numbers of eight. Um, right. Had to like go in and kind of add like these last four pages and kind of make it where it's like, all right, I'm not, make it like not where I'm shoehorning it in, but just adding like extra. Right. <laughs> right. And you know, make it a, which I'm glad because it makes it, it makes a very strong cliffhanger when you read it and like having that last, like, oh man, these last, those last four pages, I'm glad I added them. Right. They, they are fantastic. Uh, here's okay. Well, here's a here's a question for, like you know, creating, building this world out, and like living in it for so long, right? Like, do you have difficulty like like uh, getting uh, interest in like another project that you might want to work on because you're so like, um, in that world now. Yes and no. Um, I, I have looked at some of my other scripts. The issue with uh, comics is just budgets. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm like, man, I would really love uh, uh, to, to do this story, but I can't fund both. Right. I can't bankroll both. Um, although I I have, uh, and I am uh, doing some edits on a 22-page one-shot of a different uh, world. Um, uh, and that world is going to be called like Americana Legends. Hmm. Um, and I like that one's gonna be um I'm taking like classic American tall tales uh characters and I'm adding a more Marvel S superhero uh twist to them. And in fact, uh Americana Legends uh John Henry um issue zero will be the first one shot. But it it took a little bit. Um luckily, you know, having the script done and Kind of having her like you know do all you you have a good buffer zone, mm -hmm. um, so you know I, I always had money where I, like I paid her and I paid her like well in advance on some uh, things because in like October she had surgery so there was like a two and a half month pause but I still paid her so that gave me a good buffer zone of uh, like twenty something pages of work where I don't have to pay her for a while so then I saved some money and I started. Um, doing concept or like paying someone for concept art on this next project but yeah it, it can be a little like uh i i, I would never want to do more than two projects at once <laughs> that makes um, sense and i know like some professional uh comic writers do like four books a month and i'm like i don't know how <laughs> like I, I, I like i tip my hat off to them and i mean maybe if i just was able to do more I, I possibly could mm -hmm. the show, but I'm like doing four books at a month, uh, especially if they're like tonally different. Like, I don't know how I can get my headspace there. Yeah, right. Cause especially if you got a ping pong, like if you're like in like yeah. a, a much lighter world and then you got to step into something dark, like I feel like that's just like. Yeah. Or a you, lot. you know, like, hey, I'm doing 
uh, almost like a fairy tale world. Now let me do something superhero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it demands different things, right? You know, yeah. that world, that type of story. But uh, you know, it's a uh, interesting uh, that you know you would kind of jump into this comic book world. Is are there like any like surprising things you've learned like within like the inner workings of the comic book industry? Yes. Um, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, pros are very salty. I've, I've learned that. Wow. Like, like, like if you, uh, if you're a fan of, uh, if you have like your comics, right. And you're a fan of like a writer and artist, I would almost suggest don't look at the writer's Twitter. Um, look at the artist because the artist is more likely to show art. In fact, don't even look at their Twitter. Just go to their Instagram because Instagram, they'll definitely show art. Mm. Twitter, it is, you're like, all right, I'm hoping for like Comic Insight or whatever. Maybe they show like, tease like a page or two or a panel or they go, ah, you know, uh, here was my time at Marvel working on this. This is, you know, like, right. fun fact, no, it's, ah, this is what I think about politics. Right. <laughs> like, no, no, you're, you're writing Spider-Man. Right. I, if you hate Trump, I'd rather <laughs> do like something cool behind the scenes in comics. Even if it was like way in the past, like this is how I broke in. This is how I suggest writing a script. This is how I deal with, you know, always. Nope. So many, uh, and it's, it, the comic industry feels very tribal. Mm-hmm. You start seeing it and stuff. It definitely feels very tribal of, um, cause there's something called like comics gates. And then you have, uh, people who are very anti comics gate and I'll admit like some of comics gate, especially at the beginning, um, was flawed, but overall it's just kind of like a series of, uh, fans and, um, creators doing their own thing on like crowdfunding and just going, Hey, uh, we don't like gatekeeping. So we're just going to do our own thing and for the most part, try not to like just shove politics in or, you know, be a little bit new, more nuanced because like that's how they started is around 2015 Marvel started being a little bit heavy handed with politics. Right. And uh, I mean, you know, they, they say like forced diversity, which I mean, it kind of was when you go, Hey, post secret wars, now we're changing like Thor to female and, Iron Man's uh, black teenager and Cat <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. You know, very like, do you understand people? You're at the height of the MCU, and then you just, if you go to, if you somehow get readers interested, the, the, the readers are getting comics that don't have what's on the screen. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's like, an interesting. I would dilemma. rather um, create like brand new characters with new titles. Right. Um, it's how I kind of point at it. Like, and not try to ride the coattails of like, ah, let's just have uh, someone just pretend they're uh, Iron Man. That's kind of how I, well, you know what's funny? I, I, I debate with myself about this all the time because, like, for years I was, like, very, like, anti, like, whoever was, whoever was, if Spider-Man wasn't Peter Parker, I wouldn't, I would be like, that's not Spider-Man, 
you know yeah like i'd be like peter parker is spider-man like you know spider-man's a guy who has who can do all the spider-man stuff but he cracks jokes and he's kind of a loser but then when you kind of change it to somebody like uh you know ben riley you know who's like supposed to be this like cooler version of peter parker that's think People you know really react uh kindly to ben riley no <laughs> no and then or, or even uh or even or like fans, but you know, of all people, are like, give me Peter. Yeah, like that's just who I want. And so, you know, now with like, you know, the uh, the newest, you know, new Spider-Man with like Miles Morales, who was you know introduced like back in like what 2011 or 12 ish, um, around that time maybe. Did, yeah, around like 2011, 12. Um, yeah. But you know, the great thing, like. Uh, so he could have existed very easily because he was in the ultimate universe. So, right. you know, Peter Parker died and, you know, you had still had Peter Parker in the main universe. So, you know, you could have your cake and eat it too. Right. Um, but now they've, they've uh, put both in the same universe. Right. Uh, <laughs> kind of weird. Kinda like, okay, that's cool. But like Miles doesn't have any original villains. Yeah. He, that's, that sucks. He was very like, all right. So they they made Peter Parker more of an adult, so they can try to go with the, oh, you liked uh, the high school, uh, teenage loser version of Peter. Well, we have that in Miles. And that was what was we. I think we uh, or a weird thing with Miles's character was like. For me, like, I was like, I would rather him not, like, be, like, interested in science. Like, it'd be cool if he was just the complete opposite of what... You know what? And, like, I think that's where the Spider-Verse movie did so well. Right. Uh, he went to a private school, but he, he seemed more interested in art. Right. Science. Like, yeah. the graffiti stuff. I'm like, all right, cool. And the crazy thing is, I'm like... <sighs> Spider-Verse made Miles more interesting than the comics. Yeah, that revitalized the character. And I mean. in the comics. Yeah. And his design looks to me in the Spider Verse movie looks mm-hmm. more interesting. Like, all right, cool. You can tell, um, you know, he's in a little bit more like urban neighborhood and stuff. You know, he's got the kicks, like no shoelace. Right. And it's hoodie, like spray paint on. And yes. As, the comics, it's like Nick Fury gave it to him because he was wearing the uh, the Peter Parker costume you saw in the Spider Verses too, and like for a whole issue, and it was a running joke, and it was kind of cool. Right. That's in poor taste. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, yeah, you make a valid point where you know where there's, you know, we're at a weird tipping point where people want original characters. But how we get them is like what I think is the main like yeah like uh, issue. I, I would I would rather have just like original characters that have uh if they have some sort of connection to a hero or whatever, you know, like have it be some sort of accident or something. Not hey, I have the same name as you and power is very similar to you, but I'm different. Right. With yeah. Yeah. I'm is like, it, how is it, int- or, or how do we even come up? Well, I, I think it's not impossible, but how how do we come up with original characters without having like the the template for the like 
that type well, of um, character you're building. Like, all right, so uh, Milestone Comics did it perfectly in like the 90s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Static Shock was uh, like Dwayne McDuffie was like, I want to do a Spider-Man trope. Not, I, not I want to do Spider-Man, but I want to take the like the trait and kind of treat Spider-Man like he's a character trope, right? Mm. And he created Static Shock. That's perfect, actually. Very different characters. You know, they have, you know, good similarities of, like, you know, teenager down on his luck and trying to balance, you know, friends, family, and, you know, saving the day. Um, And that's, you know, a great trope of, like, trying to, like, do balance, but it didn't feel like a copy and paste. Right. Um, Different powers, different, like, settings, different way they got, you know, the powers, way different villains. You know, he did the same thing, like, he wanted to do Superman trope, but not do Superman. And he created Icon. Who's a great character. I want to see, like, a movie by um, him. Yeah. And he even did, like, Icon, like, uh, landing on Earth during slavery. And, like, he made Icon a Black conservative, you know, which... Some people think, you know, they don't exist, but, you know. <laughs> they but, do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How can you say nothing exists? I'm like, uh, or a type of person doesn't exist. I'm like, yeah. there's too many people in the world for everybody yeah. to be the same. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like Dwayne McDuffie did a, he, he created the template back in the 90s. And it's, it feels like no one, you know, wants to pay attention to that. And they're just like, Nope, let's just change a race or gender or something and give them a name and just let's hope we can ride these coattails. Yeah, that's always been my biggest not doing complaint. Well, like, I think, like, uh, let me see, Batman, you know, like, a lot of people are like, oh, why can't Batman be, like, a black guy or something? I'm like, that's just not how, you know, he was created. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have, like, I... The, the best way I can always describe, and I'll admit, like, I started reading a little bit less of, like, mainstream comics. Um, I do a lot of, like, I, I'll buy a lot of crowdfunding on, like, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, because I'm buying, like, kind of directly from, from the creator, and, you know, it helps them out less of a company. Or I'll buy, you know, like, s- smaller publishers, um, Artana Comics, uh, Scout Comics, even, you know, and a good amount of image. Um, hmm. I, I started reading you know, some of the image yeah. stuff a couple of yeah. weeks ago. I read Invincible. I started reading that. Oh, that's a great series. Yeah. I, and the series is done. So, you know, it has a good finale. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious like to see where it goes. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it, 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 it's bloody. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> but it's, it definitely does get bloody. Um, Kirkman. And yeah, Kirkman, like, Creator of The Walking Dead, he did Invincible. Um, yeah. And he showed, like, you can create a whole new uh, superhero universe that's not Marvel or DC, and it can can work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was pretty much just one title, um, but it works so well. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm excited to see what how they convert it to animation and Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad it's animation and not live action. Right. Because animation, you can you can have more stuff. Yeah, I agree. I think it's less risky too. You know. 
where like you know the the anime or where like live action you know you got a big budget and then if the movie doesn't make much money or as a tv show you know then there's more pressure on it but animated it's like perfect because you can just convert everything to to that Um, and i mean i so if you're like because comics you can kind of do anything Mm -hmm. Um, and i think a lot of comics uh the issue with some some creators is uh it feels like they're trying to write for live action TV. So a lot of comics, that, like uh, there was a port that came out a couple of weeks ago. The comic industry as a whole is up, um, I think like 12%. But superhero comics, because they broke down the graph, superheroes, which means Marvel and DC, are down 9%. In mm. Interesting. Manga and graphic novels were up 20%. So, you know, Japan is doing excellent. <laughs> but Japan kind of focuses on like, hey, we're not trying to really insert um, politics or like very heavy-handed politics. We're kind of keeping like general stories and stuff. Yeah, you know, some things are political. Like Gundam will always be like a, a war, anti-war type story. But it never goes, ah, you know, here's, we all just, smoked weed and got along <laughs> to be a better you know right it, it's yeah. very realistic and you know typically even the heroes are are amoral for the most part um that's true yeah <laughs> and a lot of our like marvel and dc writers now are just it feels like it leans very heavy one way and some uh kind of creators are like hey we're gonna have a coffee shop Seinfeld scene in the comic and it's like no it's a it's a picture book they want right. the, they want if they wanted to see this they would just I don't know I guess watch or listen to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> perfectly said I mean I think uh, you know it's yeah I mean I can't remember the last time I was like really like when I was reading a comic book and I was like wow this is like a really interesting like a mainstream one like yeah like i think like for me like as a spider-man fan i think like the last one that i thought was kind of it was like really interesting was uh the one where like he's uh dr octopus like takes over peter parker's body yeah uh, the superior spider-man superior spider-man that was excellent yeah yeah i was like this is like some of the uh afterwards kind of stumbled a little bit but a dance lot i think he finished strong um on a Spider-Man line, because he did Red Goblin, where mm. Norman Osborn uh, wore the Carnage suit. Um, oh, I didn't know about that. I didn't know what Yeah, but, you know, from Superior to Red Goblin was almost like a two-year gap of, like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, the unanimous, like, like fandom nation of, like sound for like oh you didn't do that yeah like it's not that good mediocre you know yeah (laughs) like you know there's moments but he tried to re-bring back like the clone saga and you're like no one liked the clone saga in the 90s and your twist and interpretation is not gonna make it any better it's still the clone saga (laughs) we don't get that out of here we don't like clones and and spider-man together right yeah they they just don't peanut butter and tuna yeah (laughs) exactly yeah i mean uh, it's a it's an interesting interesting time for comics i mean i know like you know 
digitally. Actually, yeah. Um, which digital uh, isn't actually all that big. It's kind of like plateaued. Um, I know because of uh, uh, like COVID and the situation and stuff, um, there was like for about a two month period, um, almost every comic company said pencils down to mm. all artists and stuff. Um, and then when they kind of, in about May 24th, um, they started like slowly uh, coming back online and as comic shops kind of came back and DC left Diamond, which is like the a monopoly distributor. I read about that, yeah. Um, and they, you know, started doing their own stuff. DC actually never really stopped either because they were like, we're posting digital stuff. <laughs> yeah, they um, were ahead of the curve, especially with uh, yeah. what you, what you, what you call it, uh, the DC Universe yeah. app. I mean, yeah. What you mean that might get uh, a? I've heard. I've heard. Yeah, that's going. Everything uh, Warner Brothers related is being forwarded into HBO Max. See, my hope is that they will turn DC Universe. They will fold it into the HBO Max app itself. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the the rumors of what's going to happen. Because like, why have more than one when we can just have one grand thing? Yeah, I'm like, they got Doom Patrol. They might as well add Titans, no matter how fans feel about it. You know, like, it's already kind of up and running. They were. Um, it looks like they're, they're doing a bit better on that season two, though. Oh, yeah, I, I appreciated season two better than one, for sure. Yeah, that, that one looked a bit rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had to, they had to uh, make some adjustments and stuff. There were still some things in the second season where I was like, oh, why did you guys do this? But, you know. It's yeah. It's different. It's different from yeah. It's it's different. Which I mean, you, you gotta kind of mark your own path. Yeah. For better or worse, and sometimes things are worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I come from, or we come from, like uh the Smallville days, right? Where it's like yeah, that's completely like something that was like different from. I mean, you had um, and I remember Mutant X on Fox. Oh, Mutant X! I forgot about that one. Yeah, that was yeah. that was great. That was a great uh, X-Men rip-off, but also done by Marvel. They just couldn't quite do uh, so X-Men. Confusing. <laughs> lawsuits about that as well. <laughs> they couldn't use the word mutant. <laughs> that was a weird, confusing show. Because yeah. I remember thinking, oh, it's like in the X-Men thing. But I I was like, these are about like characters I don't know about or something. It was very yeah. copyright or like copyright violation E. Yeah, and it was still done by Marvel. It was just like, uh, we have the X-Men license somewhere else, and but we want to do X-Men show, and we can, and we can't use the word mutant. We, we just, like, the, the genes are mutated. Yeah, yeah, I remember in, like, the the the, the theme song or whatever, they, they were, like, trying to explain the whole premise of the show, but it was just like, why do they need to do this every, like, for the opening, you know? But it, You know, the crazy thing is... Uh, it felt more like a the like a static shock of you had like one military company or whatever, and they just kind of experimented and weird explosion thing kind of happened. Or I mean, they didn't have an explosion, but they had experiments and right. They created the, the the powered people, but yeah, that was an interesting interesting way to way to go. And I mean, you know, like after Mutant X, well, Mutant X had the cool effects and stuff like that but then when smallville came out it was like the effects were like finally like at a point where like on tv yeah. like it was crazy you know like 
the super speed effect at the time it was real. They were yep. doing like this, this really cool stuff with. And then you had uh, heroes like oh. later, which heroes. just started out strong, and then it, it my soul it hurts, and then it had more issues, and <laughs> I just pretend at this point I just things that never one. made sense or fully explained. Yeah, I just pretend season one is the only season that they produce, and it kind of feels better that way. <laughs> like Peter Petrelli dies at the end, he explodes. His brother takes him up into the sky. They blow up. They beat Siler. That's it. They Done. save the cheerleader. That's it. That's where. Yep. That's where it, ends. where it goes. Yep. <laughs> and then where they took it, it was just weird because, it, like, I think some shows are a victim of their own success. Mm. Like. Like season two, they were like, "All right, well, let's try to like dig deep, I guess." And then the writer strike happened, and then you kind of got this kind of half cocked season where it was like, "Like, there's a yeah, every of show kind of out at the time of the writer strike." <laughs> <laughs> got this suffer of like, "Ooh, this is telling two stories." Yeah, and by the time season three came along, you know, it had been a year of the writer strike, and so here it had been off the air for like. 13 months almost or something yeah. like that so it i don't think it ever rebounded for, from that because they tried to come back bigger with more action and so you got fights but that's what not that that didn't make heroes great at the first season you know it was like them finding out they had powers and then when eventually they had to fight you know someone you know it yeah. was a cool interaction and then you also just if, if like season one you had uh it, it, it felt like um Jaws, but with superpowers. Because you mm -hmm. had like, one dude, like everyone's just kind of trying to solve this mystery of like, well, what's it mean? Save the cheerleader, save the world. Well, like, what, what, what is that? Right. There's one dude who's kind of like this strike, just, you know, slowly like taking out people who aren't even main characters, not even like really side characters. Just like <laughs> introduced in one episode and killed off, like getting different powers and dissecting people's brains and yeah collection that like, was cool you know where like you as a fan you're like oh every time you see him you almost want to go Duh, nah, nah. yeah <laughs> yeah he it was great because they never or the first couple of episodes like yeah. for a lot of episodes they didn't they only show like the back of silas head all the time yeah so you, like you uh, really he had it. a very great um like Game of Thrones White Walker effect, like yeah, yeah, you were very intrigued, yeah, and know a lot about them, and then you know as it kind of went through, you were like, ah, <laughs> yeah. The more they started delving into him, because I think like the first season, Siler, fantastic. I mean, it's a great actor playing him, and he's like, it's a simple story, you know, of like a he's serial just a killer. simple like serial killer. Yeah, and it's like, okay, cool. How do they stop him? Cool, but then. You know, when it all comes together, you know, it's not exactly as you thought it was going to be. Like, the whole Peter Petrelli thing, that blew my mind when, like, when they revealed he was the one that blew up the New York. Yeah. I was like, oh, like, he's he's actually pretty awesome, you know, but I don't know. And uh, wasn't Heroes created by, like, M. Night Shyamalan? <laughs> An M. Night Shyamalan ripoff guy. Uh, it's uh, The guy's name is... Uh, Tim Kring. He's done some other Tim shows. Okay. Yeah, he's done some other shows since then. But the first season feels very M. Night Shyamalan. -y. Yeah. I would, I, like the music, the twists. That's and then you exactly. also had uh, like the scientists trying to figure out the, the, how the powers, and he did like, oh. 
Yeah, I don't know. He kind of looked like M. Night. (laughs) You see M. Night making like a few appearances in his movie. So I was like, uh, I I, kind of mistaken. I thought it was M. Night who did it. (laughs) No, no, no. I don't think you're wrong in saying that. Like I said, it it feels very M. Night Shyamalan-y just with the intrigue and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just funny that we're talking about all of these different uh, shows that are influenced by comic book culture and also kind of try to give their own unique vibe to it. Like, and that's what keeps comic books thriving is like the originality of like some people with properties yeah. of, you know. Um, and I think uh, with like crowdfunding, um, you know, like uh, my project on Stitch. Um, and I mean, I'm just a small fish because there's a crowdfunded uh, book on Indiegogo right now called Cyberfog. It's made a million dollars. <laughs> That's a million. Like, it's the most successful crowdfunded comic. Fantastic. Um, I am nowhere close to that. I am four <laughs> thousand. Hey, hey, you're, but, you're, you're, you're what, 73% close to your yeah. goal, man. So, I mean, yeah. that's but, no small know, potatoes. Um, with, like, crowdfunded, you know, because uh, I live out in the country now, so the nearest comic shop is an hour away from me. <laughs> Um, I love comics and, you know, I still go to it, but it, it's like a once, once a month type thing. And I kind of have to pick like m- what titles I do, you know, very sparingly because I'm like that gas money. Yeah. <laughs> funded. Um, and that's why I kind of do a lot more crowdfunded, uh, like, you know, back in crowdfunder books is because it's like, okay, I can back this. Yeah. It's going to take like months or like maybe a year or whatever, because, you know, it's going to be developed. But then it's just mailed straight to my house. Right. It's almost like Amazon. Um, except, you know, I know for the fact of like, it didn't, there was no real middleman. It went straight to the creator. Creator used those funds. He either paid his artist or he is the artist. So he paid like a colorist or a letterer, paid the printing, and then boom, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a more niche thing. And, you know, it's not a one for one on like, a standard like going to comic shop and getting a comic but you know with with my campaign on stitch um i have different tiers like for 55 bucks which is my feature tier uh you can get uh two books which is one of each cover because i have laura who's uh my interior artist she did a cover i have jason Baker, who is a professional um comic artist and he was the first person to ever make six figures on a crowdfunded comic on a Kickstarter back in like early 2010s or whatever. Um, And he kind of was the one that made people go, okay, you can, if you know, you're good enough and if you have like a YouTube channel and good enough following, you can make great money. Yeah, I mean, Um, it's pretty mind blowing. With a like pretty much no middleman. So you get to keep more of that money. Um, And he did, he graced, you know, very lucky I emailed him, Um, he did a cover. So for like 55 bucks, you can get two books, um, one of each cover, a fold-out poster uh, done by our other mutual friend, Caleb. Um, yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. He's and uh, you get a mini print. So, you know, when it, and if I, so if I hit funding, if I make more, um, once I hit funding, I'm gonna start showing like what stretch goals are. Um, mm. You know, right now they're hidden and they're not on the campaign because I'm like, there's no point in showing the stretch board until I hit funding. But if right. I make 10,000, then everyone who backs a physical tier, 
uh, it's going to get like a patch. If I make 12,000, everyone gets like a patch and bookmark. So, you know, like the more I make, the more free stuff you get. And I think that's what makes crowdfunding a little bit more exciting is like, okay, the more uh, certain campaigns make, the more like free swag you get in like coffin comics um, on like Kickstarter. Brian Polito has a book called Lady Death. He had like three books. He has like Lady Death, um, Le Morta, and uh, Hell Witch. Like those are his three titles he rotates, but Lady Death's like the big draw and the other two are like spinoffs from that comic. Mm. Um, he typically makes around like uh, like 200,000 a campaign. Wow. 200, 300,000. He's also been doing it, you know, quite a while. He's, you know, built up that fan base, but every time I get a book from him, I'm getting a book. I'm getting like two different magnets. I'm getting uh, like several different like mini prints, like six different mini prints, a bookmark, a little wooden coin with Lady Death on it. Sometimes he even throws in like a Lady Death condom and he's like, what right. do you do with this? But <laughs> there's just so much cool like free stuff added in for like 25 bucks for shipping where you're like, okay, um, yeah, you know, it's a little bit of a more niche handmade to, you know, higher price point. But I'm getting 48 pages of art and I'm getting all this other free, cool, like collectible swag and stuff that kind of makes me look like without having to buy merchandise, it makes you look like a super fan. And it makes you more kind of invested into like the story and wanting to back more. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I think uh you know, when you put it that way, yeah, does the incentives, yeah, do make it much more of a, a personal experience between the, yeah. you know, person and the Rather artist. Than, you know, like, uh, if I go to the comic shop, the only personal experience I have is I just like Spider-Man. Um, it doesn't matter who's really writing it. I like the character. Now, if someone uh, writes the character and I don't like it, I, you know, you just kind of drop it and you just kind of wait a while and hope that, you know, creative change happens. Right. Um, and if you, know, you just hope that you know next time you pick it up, it's someone different, or they they've changed the, their approach and something. But you know, um, with crowdfunding, you you make a more of a creative connection, and you know you're more connected to the project rather than just um, you're connected to like just that single character. So you know, I, I think there's more like an investment thing with crowdfunding, especially if. Uh, you know you like the project and like they keep doing more things in that universe of that project which hopefully you know if i get this funded um we're gonna we actually start uh some of the beginning pages of part two even though i'm not yet we actually start part two in like two weeks from now um so you know we're getting that head start on part two already and <laughs> also writing the script now for like uh the next uh series or saga because uh, everything on stitch i plan on breaking in like two parts like part one being about 48 pages part two either 48 50 something um you know so the whole story collectively is like a hundred something so it feels like uh like a mini series every time um so you know i'm already writing the next saga for unstitch um and you know like i said with uh like i have four tiers like if you know you don't have that much money i have eight dollar digital tier um i am going to ship the digital tier uh later than the physical because um, i i think it's a little bit um crappy if you like you just kind of get a digital tier 
I get a letter and while I'm waiting on the books from the printer, you've already read the book. Right. Um, you know, physical people, you know, they're paying more. So I want to reward them and kind of like push back the digital um, release date a little bit. But if you buy physical, I'm throwing in the free digital. I mean, that's that's nice of you, man. And I mean, I think, uh, you know, your heart seems like it's in the right place, especially yeah. from from, uh, you know, yeah. to, from mean, creation you know, to getting it to we them. We even have a, a cool thing, um, like 150 bucks. Um, you get everything in that dreamer tier that I mentioned, that 55, like two books, you know, each one of each cover, poster, mini print, but at 150, uh, we even have a collectible. And I only have 10 of these made. And so far, six have already been sold. So we got four left. A handcrafted uh, teddy bear based on the boogeyman. Oh, like, I see it. Yeah. 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 Cool. Like the eyes glow in the dark. Oh, man. His back, uh, for aesthetic reasons, um, he's got little, uh, like, stuff in, uh, like, uh, cotton stuff coming out of him. Um, <laughs> not broken, it's just aesthetics, because he's got uh, three mini bears on his back, because in our story, and you're going to find out, like, Boogeyman, um, the way I kind of created them is I wanted, uh, what if, like, Venom was a teddy bear? Like, mm. If teddies, you know, protect children, I want a bigger, meaner, badder version of that for the darkness. And Boogeyman's almost like, also like that Darth Vader enforcer type role while the darkness is like Palpatine, um, you know, ruling everything, you know, behind the scenes. Um, and it's like really the big bad, but the Boogeyman, he goes and he dispatches uh, teddies mm. and stitches them. And when he does, he wears the unstitched teddies on his back. <laughs> so, you know. That's pretty he, awesome. He has a cool design. <laughs> but when you kind of like, you know, and that's why I say this is a darker all ages story. Like, kids will kind of look at it and go, oh, that's cool. You know, he's a bad guy. and He just looks like a bad guy. If an adult reads this, they'll get that like subtle, like, subtle subtext going, oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> he's, wearing, he's wearing teddy bears that are. He's dispatched. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, totally. As soon as you told me that, I was like, ooh, that sounds really cool. You know, like, so I guess for people, for other artists that are listening right now who may be interested in, you know, you know, uh, creating a universe through comics and stuff, what advice do you have to, to, to those people? Um, I would say don't worry uh, too much on... Um, your thing being similar to something else um, because it's always your take. As I said, like Static Shock was essentially Dwayne McDuffie doing his own Spider-Man, but not doing Spider-Man. Um, so, you know, never like, because I feel like a lot of people, when they try to write something new, they'll discover something later on or something will point out something later on of like, ah, oh, that reminds me of this. And then you kind of get discouraged and you're like, well, if it's not original, I quit. Yeah. Um, everything's kind of been done more or less. Right. Or it's an amalgamation of different things. Like, so don't give up or just don't, you know, discard something if someone points out uh, any similarities to something else. Because it's your take. Um, it's your story. So, you know, as long as you actually didn't, like, plagiarize it, it's original on its own behalf because 
you know, you did it. Because, um, you know, later on, I did find out there's a, a cool comic called uh, The Stuff of Legends, which had some similarities. And I actually bought and read the first four uh, volumes because it was a really good comic. But I also go, okay, uh, I'm, I'm comfortable enough. Like, my story is different. Yeah. Right. Um, it's, you know, toys trying to, like, protect a child. Um, there's the child actually gets kidnapped and taken to, like, a toy uh, world or whatever by the boogeyman. Um, and the boogeyman's also, like, a shadow monster as well. While mine's, you know, it's a little bit, you know, broken up and different. My boogeyman's more of an evil teddy bear. Um and things more or less take care, like place in a uh, in like a single room, or like in a under the bed realm, not like in a place called the dark. Um, but you know, it, it didn't like go. Ah, let me give up the project. Right. So I just kept doing my own thing. Um, if you're doing comics, um, I would suggest save like two or three thousand dollars. Be honest with you, uh, artists are not cheap but they're worth it. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you have so much uh, options with, like, crowdfunding. You can, you don't need to go, oh, let me submit to a publisher. You don't need uh, the gatekeepers anymore. You can sell directly to fans. Um, And that's the beautiful thing about crowdfunding is people, that's all they do. They've made, like, little, their own uh, studio IPs um, of, like, Coffin Comics. Yeah, they'll do some uh, comic shop stuff, but pretty much it's straight to fans. And again, he makes like 300,000, 200,000 projects. And he's doing a project on crowdfunding like every three months. You know, it's crazy. That's that's, Uh, that's insane. that's, That's big time. That's big time. You know, but beginning out, you're probably gonna make about if you're lucky, like maybe six thousand, ten thousand, maybe two thousand, three thousand, whatever, you know, depending on your project. But uh another thing for like creators, uh create like a, a YouTube channel or something. Um, and I'm guilty, like I, I have a YouTube channel, I really don't do too much on it. Um, I'm more or less a, a guest person on other people's shows. But build your fan base. And like that's the best way to build your fan base. Blogs are kind of nice, but most people don't really read them nowadays. The blogs are kind of dead. You, a lot of people watch YouTube. A lot of people listen to podcasts. Be friends with people. Go on other people's networks, like Nerdy Talk with your boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, market. Um, sell yourself, because if people like you, they'll be more inclined to check your book out. And I've seen some people uh, whose books that I'm like, that art looks like trash and they have made more money than me because they have a nice, good YouTube following where people like them. And they're like, uh, whether I like this book or not, I'm willing to, you know, give you money because you give me, you know, almost daily entertainment on YouTube. Um, that's so well said. That's a... Uh, like, you know, that's some good advice right there. And uh, I mean, there's plenty of other people who's doing crowdfunding and stuff. So uh, just, never be afraid to ask questions. Like, hey, what's a good printer? What, what do you suggest? Like, I ask tons of questions. Sometimes I'm like, I hope I'm not annoying this person. 
I think that's probably the signs of the most successful people too, right? Is that they weren't afraid to ask for ask questions to learn yeah. more. You know, that's a. That's, and if that's you do great, a crowdfunded right. uh, thing, um, like the, the the bare minimum you should have is a cover, um, a, like maybe a minute long video. You don't have to talk. It's nice if you do talk, um, but a minute long video to minutes, no more than like two and a half minutes, three minutes, whatever. Um, have a cover made and maybe like the first five pages of art, um, show people. Like you don't even need the art lettered. I don't have the art lettered. I have all the art done um, and I have a letter um, and we're working on that, but it takes some time and I'm hoping, you know, once I get funds, I can just kind of pay him to letter the whole book. And that might take like a week for him to letter all 48 pages. Because you might go, oh, what about this font? You know, stuff like that. That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, I think that's 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 so uh, precise in like needing that. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I mean, this is perfect. Perfect advice. Um, yeah, because I mean, if you don't, if you're doing a comic, you have to think a comic is a hundred percent. It's a picture book, and if you can't show any pages of what it looks like, no one's gonna buy it. Um, yeah, I feel like some Marvel DC books kind of get away with they hire uh, amazing cover artists, but the interior artist is kind of garbage. So yeah. it's like a you, you bamboozle the customer. You really <laughs> do that with a crowdfunded book because it's on the website. Like here's the pages. <laughs> this is what it looks like. Yeah, and me personally, that's why uh, I had Laura do the main cover because I feel like uh, at least the main cover artists should you know the interior artist should do the main cover as well that makes complete sense yeah you know a, a variant cover is a variant cover and i only believe in like maybe one or two extra variant covers some people can do a bunch but i feel like the more variant covers you have me personally i feel like you don't really trust your project you're trying to sell covers true um, that's yeah. why i had like just one cover extra cover i mean that's uh that's well put that's like you know, yeah. like you, you, I didn't really think about it when you said it until you said it with like, you know, you know, the, the first like cover should be, you know, reflect what you're going to get. You know, that's like, you know, if you didn't get that, that's like looking at like an Alex Ross cover and then like opening it up and like, and then it's like stick figures inside, you know, yeah. I've yeah. seen some really bad stuff where like, <laughs> Uh, they had a, a like a, I think a Japanese artist do a like a Captain Marvel cover, so mm. it had more like a manga anime look. You're like that cover is gorgeous, and then you open up and you're like, she looks like a dude, and it looks like Jay from Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> like she has a trench coat and her hat, and she's like kind of very flat chested, where she looks like a skinny dude, and you're like, no, this artist does not match, and it's not. Why is this a Marvel artist? <laughs> well, it's perfect that you know you're so uh, conscious of of all of these things, for, not just for yourself but for the fans. Uh, do you have like any social media you want to drop, like for um, people to follow you? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on a um, couple of different things, uh, like uh, Justin Dutton on Facebook. You can find me. Um, Justin at Justin Dutton 18 on Twitter. Um, I'm going to start ramping up my own YouTube. 
which is just, you know, my name again, Justin Dutton, or you can find me a good amount of times on a YouTube channel called Forest Publishing um, with uh, Robert Embry and uh, Jay Money. Um, we kind of do a, a like open mic comic uh, panel discussion where we talk things happening in the comic industry. And, you know, again, we, we promote our books and we try to promote others as well. Well, that's, that's, that's awesome, man. Again, I, I just want to say that, you know, thank you for, you know, bringing this comic book to life uh, for, for, you know, everyone listening again, if you, you know, want to uh, pick this up, it's got, you know, 26 more days left to uh, go on to Indiegogo and uh, fund it. Uh, it's called Unstitched Part One of Two. Protect the light, protect the child, fend off the darkness. Was that pretty good? Yeah. That was good? Nice. <laughs> that was good. Oh my gosh. Uh, you're, you're a better salesman than me with that. Look at you go. Ah, nice. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, I, I, think, uh, I think that's it. Well, uh, until next time, listeners. Uh, yeah, stay awesome.